The Trump fever dream lives on in the minds of the Laurentian elite here in Canada, and the media use COVID as another opportunity to push even more socialism in our already socialized healthcare system. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. Now, this show, the Fake News Friday show, is our favorite show here at the Candace Malcolm Show. It gives us an opportunity to look back at the legacy media, go through some of the most bizarre headlines of the week and just sort of dissect all of the all of the various problems. There's so many there's so many things wrong with the legacy media in Canada. And, and we go through this a lot on this show. Uh, I, I, I call it the three B's of the of the media. First of all, they're beholden to the Trudeau government. They receive their funding from the government, which means that there is a conflict of interest and they're not going to properly report. Um, the second thing is that they're biased. They're all sort of partisan liberals, or at least they adhere to the same ideology that Justin Trudeau follows. They're, they're, they're liberals. They, they see the world through that lens. They think that uh, every every solution should be um, fixed by the government, that, that there's no limits to the things that the government can do. And that they have these sort of trends, like, the, you know, they're anti-American and anti-conservative and all these kind of things. And the third thing that the media is, the third B, probably the worst crime of all, is that they're boring. It's it's so predictable. It's so bland. It's so milquetoast. It's so boring. So, so those are the three bees of the legacy media. And to join me on this show, uh, I'm bringing on my producer here at the Candace Malcolm Show, Harrison Faulkner. He is uh, for, formerly an intern and he's graduated up um, to a producer and journalism uh, journalist here uh, at, at True North. So Harrison, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here, Candace. And, okay, so so there's a couple uh, of stories that we wanted to go through. You know, we had the uh, the anniversary of the January 6th riots uh, down in the U.S., and I think that the the legacy media in Canada just couldn't help but unleash their sort of Trump derangement syndrome. It's like they spent four years just hectoring on the exact same points. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a very naive and simplistic criticism of Trump, like all, all of the sort of knee-jerk reaction that we first heard on election night in 2016. They just repeated over and over. They never uh, tried to gain more insight into the Trump phenomenon. There's nothing, it's, it's so unsophisticated. It's just like a basic blunt attack. And, and you know, they, they kind of had to put that to the side because Trump hasn't really been a relevant figure in the U.S. for the last year or so. And and, and now this anniversary has kind of given them an opportunity to, to, to bring it back. And so we saw some of the, some of the greatest hits uh, return here, Harrison. So let's, let's talk about this, this first story that we pulled, which uh, written by Lawrence Martin, who is a, you know, very long time um, left-wing columnist over at the Globe and Mail. And he writes that the disturbing reality is that millions of Canadians support Trump. So I'm just going to read a little bit from this opinion piece because it's, it's exactly what you would expect. It's, it's, it's the most basic, silly, um, simplistic take. He writes this, with the anniversary of January 6th, Capitol insurrection on Thursday, many Canadians will be thumbing their noses at the Donald Trump cult and what it has done to the beleaguered great republic, except for about 6 million of them. 6 million, that's roughly the number of Canadians, pollsters estimate, who support Mr. Trump and the Trumpism ideology. It's a number, more than the population of British Columbia, that's not easy to fathom. It shows how susceptible Canada is to American currents. It suggests that as we watch Americans recall the horror of that day, we should refrain from gloating. The corrosive forces at work in the U.S. are alive and well up here. And so, you know, He's just sort of horrified at this idea that there could be conservatives and and Republicans and people who support Trump. It, to me, Harrison, this just shows such a naive idea of, of Trump, this idea that if you support Trump, it's because you're an ignorant, you're racist, you're stupid. 
not not looking at, at, at any more of that. You know, so some of the interesting things about the Trump phenomenon in the U.S. is how he appealed uh, to disaffected voters, to to minority voters, to the working class, to people who who who, who just wanted America to be great again, who who aspired um, to the American dream, and or or perhaps just people who wanted to put their country first. They were tired of the sort of um, internationalism and and the, and the sort of the way that the left and liberals talk down to them. Like like there's so much to the Trump phenomenon, and to just sort of boil it down to the like most simplistic aspect and then say like oh and we shouldn't be smug because we have a bunch of these rubes up here as well to, to, to me this is just like peak snobbery and and, and shows how out of touch uh, the, the globe and mail and this particular writer are what, what, what did you think of it yeah, you know, Candace, it's such a lazy and overused line of attack on conservatives in this country. You mentioned it. It's it, it's just it's just the, the media laying into their Trump derangement syndrome and just either choosing not to understand how the phenomenon and the pre- and the, the the pressures in the United States that push Trump to uh, to the presidency, choosing not to understand that, or or they really do not have any understanding of reality. And you know that six million number, it's not hard to fathom. Lawrence Martin says he doesn't understand how that number could be so high, but uh, how can you blame Canadians, a lot of whom feel that their governments don't represent them and don't work for them anymore? How can you blame them for looking at looking at Trump in the U.S., who's everything Trudeau isn't, who uh, pushes back against the woke pressures of the left, uh, and and who really kind of rails against uh, is an anti-establishment figure who loves his country. I can't blame a Canadian for looking at that and, and seeing it as refreshing and, and kind of dreaming of, of wanting that to happen in Canada. Uh, it, it's not surprising, but really the language that Lawrence Martin uses in this piece is is wild. I have to I have to pull a couple quotes here. Um, you know, the way he describes Trump supporters in the U.S. and in Canada uh, by saying, uh, Trump appeals to those that harbor resentment toward minorities, women, and immigrants. I mean, how many times have you heard that in the legacy media, right? And, and then this other thing at the end where he writes, Canadian Trump supporters are angry and venomous. I mean, that language is, that language is actually quite dangerous. It, it's, just, it's just wild, but at the end of the day, it's typical from the Canadian legacy media. It, it is. And I mean, even I, I don't want to get into the sort of, uh, you know, what exactly happened on on January 6th. And I think there is sort of a split where, uh, you know, if you're if you're in the legacy media, if you're part of CNN crowd and, and in Canada, the sort of CBC Globe and Mail, you, you think that January 6th was like a terrorist attack equivalent to 9-11 or whatever. Uh, but whereas most people on the political right may say, you know, it was a handful of sort of ne'er-do-wells that were that were angry and they took a political uh, protest too far, which which we've seen. So many times in the U.S., where where political peaceful protests turn turn violent, that was sort of the thing that was happening a lot last year with Black Lives Matter, and in this case with the sort of pro-Trump movement was happening on both sides. But I I, I just I, I saw this people were sharing this Norm Macdonald tweet um, from from uh, January sixth, twenty twenty one, and and obviously uh, Norm Macdonald is a great Canadian uh, comedian who passed away, rest in peace. But he he wrote on, on Twitter. Um, I loved it when the violent terrorists made sure to respect the velvet ropes in the statuary hall. Um, and then there's a picture of like this sort of, you know, what we're told is like a violent, I- angry insurrection terrorist mob. And they're, they're, they're all like, you know, walking um, in, in line here going through, which, uh, you know, again, again, the, the sort of how you view reality and, and how you view events really uh, depends on, on your political uh, position. And, and what we saw from the Globe and Mail was just, you know, I, I think they kind of miss Trump being president because it gave them so many opportunities to just, uh, you know, sit on their high horse and say, like, look at those stupid Americans. And we up here in Canada are so sophisticated and mature and we would never have uh, a president like that. And then, you know, this whole idea that, oh, my goodness, like, 
clutch your pearls. There's six million of them in Canada too. Like we we shouldn't be so smug. <laughs> it's it's just so predictable, Harrison. And uh, there, speaking of the Globe and Mail and the uh, and the uh, opinion page over there, there was another piece that uh, really caught the attention of many people, particularly on social media. But the uh, the headline here says, "If the next presidential election reveals the U.S." Hurling towards possible violence and autocracy should Canada try to intervene by John Ibbotson, who's a regular columnist over at the Globe and Mail. So first of all, just, you know, this concept that Canada would somehow like intervene into like a foreign country's election um, is kind of silly. I, I don't know if there's any history, any precedent of Canada ever doing that. Um, but also, you know, to intervene in the uh, in, in the democracy of our ally and, you know, the most sort of like liberal and free country in the world, it, it just the, the concept of it seems very silly. So in the, in the piece here, Ibbotson argues that Canada needs to be prepared for when the U.S. is no longer an ally. And he, he suggests that is if Trump and the Republicans may be able to form government again in 2024. So he says, there are risks if our politicians speak up during the election and risks in staying silent. But Canadians must ready themselves for a future in which the United States is no longer an ally and no longer a friend. As hard as it is to think on such things, basically just saying that you know, the same kind of stuff, Harrison, that Trump is a dictator and that he's an authoritarian and that if the U.S. Um, elects him as president again, it won't be a free society anymore, uh, which is it's a fever dream, right? It's it's like the uh, the, the, the thing that every uh, liberal scared themselves into believing when Trump was president. And then none of those things actually happened. And so they kind of like were scrambling to invent things uh, that Trump was doing that were so terrible for the country. Uh, but what did what did you make of this op-ed? It's just just crazy. I mean, the idea that Canada is some sort of beacon of democracy and, and the great you know example of how the United States should should run and that if the United States decides to vote for a former president again, that then Canada has an obligation to go in and, and somehow enforce democracy. I don't know quite how we would go about doing that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's just crazy. And at least, you know, the Globe and Mail is being honest about their editorial direction heading into the midterms in 2024, that if if the Americans in the, in the eyes of the globe elect the wrong person, then I guess uh, the American democracy is crumbling and that uh, and, and that the country needs needs help. There's there's one line in that article, though, about how Canada needs to bolster our military and defend our borders, particularly to the north. Well, I agree with that, but not to not to defend ourselves against the United States, but to defend ourselves against our actual enemies. I mean, this is just this is just unbelievable. And you know, of course, the Globe and Mail, as soon as they put this out, it made it made its way to the United States, and they got rightfully mocked by this. I mean, there are some great reactions we want to pull, but um, you know, some of them are. Th- th- this tweet really was quite funny. Uh, it's a gif of a Simpsons line, and basically they're just saying, who are you going to send, the Mounties or Celine Dion? And another person wrote, send the Mounties. <laughs> well, if you just, just to go just to go back, if you, if you look at the tweet itself, right, you know, just look at the ratio there. It got 152 retweets and 1,500 quote tweets, which means that, like, everybody was mocking this piece. Like, just, just a headline. This idea that Canada is here to save America is, is so funny, and it, it, it really just shows the sort of outs- outsized um, ego that Canadians have that like, you know, this country that doesn't pull its own weight militarily, to your point, that we really should booster, bolster our military spending, not to protect ourselves from America, to protect ourselves from actual enemies and adversarial regimes and, and, and people who want to harm us. Uh, but no, we, we should do it uh, to, 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 to try to defend ourselves or to, to intervene in, in America. It's, it's just such a silly 
concept and, and I think it kind of goes to the thinking of Canada uh, in, in its sort of outsized um, ambition and an idea of itself as this like country that's more important uh, and, and better able than our American uh, neighbors which you know of course the reality is that Canada doesn't pull its own weight militarily we never spend the two percent of our GDP on military as we're supposed to and we rely on unduly and often ungratefully on America to, to keep us safe and protected. And, and then we turn around and bitch about them. Like, it's just, just like, it, it, it's, it's so open for mockery. And, and I'm glad that it did get mocked. Yeah, just absolutely, absolutely wild. And thank God that, that the Globe and Mail got rightfully mocked for this and that it, and that it, uh, it backfired on them a little bit. Yeah, well, I, again, just sort of a silly concept there. Okay, Harris, let's move on to this story. This one to me very much is fake news. The other two are just sort of bad opinion takes. But this this story here, I, I can't stand it when news agencies do this, when when reporters do this, where they basically take a person's opinion. So this, this piece, if this was an opinion column, if this was an op-ed written in a newspaper, I, I would say, okay, I, I totally disagree with this take. Uh, but it's their, that person's opinion, so you know all the power to them. But but this is what the news agencies do: they they take someone's opinion, they take something that should be an op-ed, uh, you know, an opinion column, and they turn it into a straight news piece. And I, I get news alerts on my phone, and this one came to me over the weekend, and it was a news report. It's like breaking and <laughs> breaking news, right? And so here's a headline: rapid spread of Omicron showing tale of two pandemics, rich and poor. Okay, so 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 again, because this is news, you just assume that it is factual, fact-based, and it is based on the news, not just based on some guy, you know, what some guy thinks. Uh, of course, when we read the piece, we realize that no, it is not based on facts or statistics or anything like that. It's just some guy's opinion. I should say that this came to us from the from CTV, but it, it, it's written by the Canadian Press, which is a wire service. So this piece would go in newspapers and on websites across the country. You would see it in everything from you know post media newspapers to uh, Toronto Star newspapers to all, all different kinds of news websites and television station websites as well. And so that, that that's sort of the problem that, that a group like Canadian Press uh, has so much reach because they just they, they appear everywhere. I'll just read a little bit of the story here. So it's, some of it, you know, I, I actually kind of agree with is just the direction he takes. So so they, they write this. As parts of Canada see staggering rises in COVID-19 activity amid Omicron's rapid spread, experts say the highly transmissible variant is training a spotlight on social inequalities across the country. Dr. Amit Ara, a palliative care physician in Mississauga, Ontario, and Dr. Andrew Buzari, who leads the social medicine program at Toronto University's Health Network, both say Omicron's rise continue to show a tale of two pandemics with those who can afford to better protect themselves pitted against those who can't. Okay, so Harrison, on the surface, I kind of agree that if you are a frontline worker, if you're a blue-collar worker, you don't have the luxury of staying at home. So, you know, going all the way back to April 2020 or March 2020, when it was like two weeks to flatten the curve, do your part, it's patriotic to stay at home. It's like, you know what, if you, if you have a white collar job, if you're a journalist, if you're a government bureaucrat, even if you're a teacher who can teach through Zoom, it's not that big of a deal to stay at home. In fact, you might actually prefer staying at home because you don't have to commute. You don't have to go out in a snowsuit. You don't have to shovel the driveway. It's it's sort of a luxury to stay at home. And so all of the people who are out there like hectoring people and, and, and sort of demanding that everyone stay home, it's like those those were often the people who it was really easy for them to stay home. 
On the other hand, when you have like blue collar workers, people who work with their hands, people who have to go to a physical workplace, frontline workers, these people don't have the luxury of staying at home. Uh, they don't have the luxuries uh, that 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 many of the people calling for the lockdowns have, and it's much harder on them. You know, the people who lose their jobs, the people who had to shut down their restaurants, the people who run small businesses, those are the people who are, are more heavily affected and they carry the bigger brunt of COVID. And so, so that part, I completely agree with. But that's not the point that, that they're making in this article. They kind of allude to it, but no, the, the, the main point that they're making, Harrison, is that our... our our healthcare isn't socialized enough. That because there are like these little glimmers of private sector delivery of of of, of places um, where you can you can get better testing services, for instance, if you pay money, you can get your results immediately, as opposed to having to wait a couple of days if you get it for free at your local hospital. That these are the examples <laughs> of the tale of the pandemic. It is unfair that some Canadians can pay $160 and get same day results, while other uh, Canadians don't who don't want to spend $160 have to wait and and these are the examples. So so basically what they're saying here is communism is is that we need to get rid of money. Money is the root of all evil and if we just didn't have any money then things would be better, which it's to me again this is not news. This is not a news piece. This is an opinion piece. Um this is saying that yes our healthcare system is totally socialized. The idea that rich people get better services isn't even true. You know, they only do if they're willing to go to the U.S. and pay out of pocket. Otherwise, they're stuck in the same queues as everybody else. But this idea that all we have to do is get rid of these little um, private uh, options here and there, and, and somehow the pandemic would be um, equal, is it's just so it's just so out of touch. It's a bad take, and the fact that it's wrapped up as in, in a news story um, makes it makes it just one of my biggest pet peeves in journalism. What 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 do you think about this one, Harrison? Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate reality of COVID, as we've as we've come to know, and as you pointed out, is that yes, if you do have the luxury of working from a computer at home, then you aren't putting yourself uh, in harm's way of COVID. And those that are have more blue collar jobs, of course, are uh, are are at more of a risk. And, and that's obvious. But I mean, what the solution is basically to just go in and, and, and to um, embrace the the healthcare system that is supposedly unable to manage the rise of COVID cases, unable to, uh, unable to house the ICU uh, beds that we need. I, I, we, hear from, we hear from governments that our healthcare system is on the verge of collapse. But this article and this doctor wants us to just go and fully embrace that system. Don't provide any alternatives to alleviate the healthcare system. And everyone has to be stuck with the, with the, with the public healthcare system that apparently can't even manage this load. Uh, but one thing at the bottom of this article that I that I thought was was interesting to note and just kind of plays into this whole idea that this is not a news piece, this is an opinion piece, and and a wild one at that. Uh, it basically talks about how it's dangerous and problematic to call Omicron mild, and how by by saying that Omicron is perhaps a way out of COVID and that it's not as dangerous for the majority of people, apparently uh, that is ableist and harmful language to call Omicron mild. So really, we, this this piece just descends into complete socialism, complete, you know, uh, complete opinion, and it's a shame to see that it's being pumped out on our wire services across our news. That's a good point. You, can, you can't even make a point that's so obvious that 
you, you hear it all over the world from doctors and from politicians in other countries. Everyone's saying this thing is mild. Uh, but in Canada, you can't, you can't even say that. Maybe that's one of the words that the CBC will add to their um, words that should be scrubbed from the English language. I, I just have to add a final point, Harrison, which is that no, no uh, woke left-wing news piece would be complete um, without also bringing in the race element because we know that the woke left is obsessed with race. Everything must be about race. And so, you know, no, no surprise here. But he also, they also included a quote talking about how uh, essential workers, by definition, have to leave the house to work, he said. This is one of the doctors uh, quoted in the piece, uh, Dr. Arya, saying uh, they might be taking public transit to work. They might be working around 400 people in a distribution center. And of course, many frontline workers are racialized. They're immigrants to Canada. They live in multi-generation households with elders and vulnerable children who aren't vaccinated. Uh, so, so, so that's just like a statement that doesn't have any backing in facts or reality. Um, he, he doesn't quote any, any statistic to say that why he thinks that many frontline workers are racialized. In fact, I don't even really know what that word racialized means. I guess it just means if you consider yourself not white or not Canadian, I don't, I don't know exactly what, what he means by that, but, but just kind of throwing that out there as well. Um, you know, not only is our problem, uh, is, not only is our healthcare system problematic um, because there's like one or two places where you can pay to get better service, um, but also, of course, it's racist. Uh, so no, no, <laughs> no surprise there. But uh, again, this is, this is just my, my biggest pet peeve when it comes to news pieces um, that quote so-called experts um, who are really just, you know, people that the journalist agrees with and uh, they want to write an op-ed to look like a news piece, and this is this is a prime example. All right, Harrison, well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your contribution and joining us on Fake News Friday. It's great to have you. Yeah, great to be here, Candace. Thanks. All right, that's Harrison Faulkner. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's Fake News Friday. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.